0: Welcome back everyone, this is Eric Elveson with the Digital Education Podcast. Coming to you this spring, it's April. Uh, We've been at this now for a few months, maybe almost a whole school year at this point in time, Dennis. Um, But I'm back with my friend Dennis Eastman and we're doing our monthly series on stories and becoming more human where we talk to educators about their experiences and how those experiences with students have made them in many ways more human. And this came out of a conversation and you can follow us and and, and listen to some of those previous conversations. But Dennis, you got to choose this month's guest. And so get us going and get us rolling and, and introduce us to Luciano.
1: Excellent, well, excited to be back. Always great to be with you, Eric. And today we are with a good friend and colleague, Luciano Sid who um, is a professor at Biola University. He's also the um, he's also the director of uh, multiple subject credentialing and excited that he's joining us today. I don't want to say too much. I, Luciana, we want you to briefly introduce yourself and then we just want to have a free-flowing conversation with you about um, some of the things that uh, some of the things you've done and also some of the things that, uh, some of the ways that you have been impacted by students along the way in your educational journey. Um, so we really are looking forward to talking to you today. So why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about you?
2: Sure. Um, first, I want to thank you for inviting me and for giving me the opportunity to actually speak about becoming more human. What an interesting topic and in connection with a uh, with teaching, which is, I think, one of the facets and one of the important factors of what we do. Uh, We teach students in a way, not just academics, at least I taught in a way, not just academics, but uh, how to become more human. What does it mean to be human? So let me tell you a little little bit about myself. I grew up in Argentina. So I was uh, born in Argentina, Buenos Aires. Uh, I lived in a city named uh, Mar del Plata, um, which is a coastal city. And then when I was 13 years old, um, my parents decided to come to the United States. And um, that was a big shift for me uh, culturally and also linguistically and socially as well. I, you know, we, when, you leave, when you leave a country, you leave every, everything behind And it's really hard to explain unless you've experienced it yourself, but you, you leave the food, you leave your family, you leave friends, you leave smells, uh, everything is new. I remember ketchup tasted different and mayonnaise tasted tasted different in it. And, and it was just really hard. And on top of that, I was asked to be successful at academics, which I was in my own country. But then with the, when the language changed, it was just a struggle. And so as I grew up, uh, and I became, uh, I started thinking, well, what do I want to do with my life? Uh, one of the things that I realized is I need to help students who who were in the same or who are in the same position that I was at one time. So uh, teaching became a calling, and uh, that, that's that's where you find myself now. I just follow that path all the way to uh, becoming a professor and teaching teachers how to interact with their students.
1: So your story is fantastic, as you have journeyed in a way that so many have coming to America and then learning the language, learning culture, bringing your culture with you. I'm curious then, as you made your, um, your inroads into becoming a teacher and serving other, uh, other colleagues as well as students in your classroom, what are some ways in which um, students have impacted you On your journey, and how have, and also tell us about some of the ways in which you were able to relate to the kid who Mm -hmm. thought that they may or may not have had an advocate who had walked through a similar path that they had.
2: Well, uh, that's a a story. That's a story of what 15, now 20, 20 something years since uh, I became a teacher in 2001. Um, I walked in to be a substitute teacher and I walked out with a long-term substitute. Uh, it was the times of classes going 20 to one, so they were looking for teachers. And then, uh, and then uh, the journey began and I got a long-term substitute position in a kindergarten class uh, with a mentor that helped me tremendously. And then the year after that, I got thrown into a fifth grade class while I was doing my uh, teacher credential at Chapman University. Um, and that was a that was a rough year. I learned quite a bit. Um, mainly, I mean, the students. The, I you know what they they taught me that first year is patience. That they, they had so much patience for me. <laughs> it was, you know, I uh, my first formal observation. I I thought I'm, I'm gonna do centers. I'm I'm going to blow the socks off this observer that's coming in from the university. I'm gonna do centers. Well, I had no business doing centers on that day and it just so happened that uh uh, i was running the center with the map and all the other centers were individualized and they were you know they had to run themselves they didn't have any help uh so i'm sure the other centers didn't do much but the end of that lesson finishing up there was a map that uh you know you have to pull down and it yanks up and and you know those old roll-up maps well it was stuck so i kept pulling harder and harder and then all of a sudden i pulled hard enough went flying up in the air and it hits a kid in the head and he starts bleeding and the the point of this story is not so much that I did something bad it was the fact that the kids hanged in there with me you know all year long they um and I think they hanged in there with me because at the end of the day I couldn't I wasn't capable or educated enough or I didn't have enough knowledge about the teaching profession at the time to be the best teacher I should be But what i did have was just care for them and i think there was a connection made um through many many experiences that you're you know what i could give them that that couldn't be taken away from me and what they could give back to me is just hey we're in this together we are going to uh have patience for one another we're gonna have love for one another we're gonna have uh commitment to one another and so, you know, I, I did a lot, I did a lot of bad things. I, I I remember veteran teachers, I was trying to do a totem pole one time with paper because we were having a unit on Native Americans and I wanted to do a totem pole outside. And I thought I had a good idea, but the totem pole ended up being more like a toilet, you know, like paper just kind of falling to the side. It was just kind of, it wasn't standing erect at all. And so, and and the master, the, the, some of the veteran teachers just, they just would laugh at me in the teachers' lounge. They just, they, I tried my best, but the students knew this, and that's what that's what got us through it, right? Uh, I think that that connection, I, that connection, that interaction, that commitment, and hey, I'm here for you no matter what, and uh, I think propels a teacher into having the trust of the students, and it's hard. It's, that's a hard thing to pull off. You have to be. A hundred percent in with them, and and they will forgive some of those things that you do that are inadequate based on your on your uh, inability or inexperience uh, um, that you have at that moment. So:
0: Well it sounds like I mean, Luciano, if, if I take it very much, it sounded very much like a place for you where you started a place of care and a place of relationship and then the sophistication of the work and the, you know, the, the learning of the profession and, you know, all of these different things of, of being a high quality teacher, you know, it takes time over, you know, it takes time and it takes work and it takes practice and it does take a lot of patience and grace. Um, what, what's it like now for you over those years to then reflect on that and then to be someone who prepares teachers, especially I'm wondering too in this, in this space of it, you know and and it's a very different profession than we when we started
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: well i'll i'll say i'll say this the, the fact
2: that uh you know as far as becoming human what it has what it taught me those days taught me is that no nobody's perfect and it it's it's a learning curve right for anything it's not just it so so here we're talking about teaching but really it's a learning curve for parenting it's a learning curve for, for anything that you step into for the first time, you're not gonna go into it and just hit it out of the ballpark, right? And so that doesn't, that doesn't take away from the fact that you have to continuously try and continue to grow and learn, right? So as you say, oh, what about today? Well, today, I, I, you know, I, if I think, if I had to go back to the classroom, I've been away from the classroom for seven years, today, I know that I would have to have a learning curve for technology, for example. I think technology in the last seven years has moved so fast, especially after COVID. I think teachers, uh, I would have to go into the classroom and really have a a listening ear and an an open eyes and just a a learning spirit to, to say, okay, I know that I am way behind on this aspect. I know that I know how to teach. I know that I can teach. I know that I can connect with the students. I can do a lesson. I can hit it out of the ballpark in all, those, in all those senses. But when it comes to technology and the way that they're communicating, the way that teachers are communicating with me as a parent today, um, that would be hard. So the lesson here is uh, often, especially our students at the, at the college level, they feel like they have to be perfect in everything. And it's such a stressful and anxious state of being. right? And, uh, and just recognizing that there is, there's a learning curve to everything you do. And I bring it up, you know, with, you know, we're, we're a Christian university. So I bring it up that even the apostles and Peter, and they had to have a learning curve to what Jesus was asking them to do. Um, And even then, even after three years of spending time with him, uh, they, they made mistakes often and, and, and Jesus had to stop them and, and teach them again. So that's, that's, that's what I take away from that. The fact that, and, and on the other side, on the student side, the ability for someone who is experiencing that, that's looking at somebody that says, oh, you're not quite cutting it. Look, that's not the way. It's to give grace and to give patience and, and to recognize the fact that uh, that that everybody is on a learning curve and that, you know, if you're... For example, I I just recently uh, started being director of the elementary education program here. Well, there's obviously a learning curve to that, so I give myself grace, and I hope that others I hope that others give me grace as well. Now, when you enter into any relationship, into any social uh, interaction, with that in mind, I think it I think it will help quite a bit uh, in the in the friendship and the and the love and connection that you have with others.
0: So I'm I'm going to throw a wrinkle into this or a question. So right, I'm going to give right. you some time to think about it. it. But you talk about the learning curve. I'm interested in a little bit of unlearning too, right? You okay. know, it's like sometimes you got to unlearn things to learn new things. Hmm. But you know, when you think about like, it, let's say, you know, you and I started in our careers similar times, you know, so we've been at this for 20 years. We know our professions changed. Um, we know our work has changed, but yet the core is still the same, right? Mm -hmm. You know, what we do and how we do teaching and learning so much of the same. What's something that when you are working with these new teachers, that, you know, you'd say, hey, I'd have to learn technology. But what's something that when you reflect on it, it's like, you know what, if I went back into the classroom full time with, you know, those, those fifth graders, or those kindergartners, or whoever it is, this would be something I would have to unlearn, so I could do this better.
2: Wow. Okay, so that is a. I had you had I had an answer until you said, "Oh, what's something you have to unlearn?" And then it made me think, what would be something I have to unlearn? Um, you know, I sometimes I contemplate. What if I if I went back to the classroom? What what would I have to do, and how how good would I be? I think being a professor of education uh for the last seven years has helped me unlearn, or at least reflect upon a lot of things that I would do differently Um, I would what comes to mind instant like right on the spot um has to be the fact that I'm not personally my class would not be driven just simply by the standards which in the past I you know I was a teacher I was I entered the profession when no Child Left behind, behind came into place, right? And so it was standards or die, right? 80%, let's get them, I mean, I could tell you all the numbers, 2014, 100% of the students at 80% or better, you know? And, and, and it was just this push and this stress to get everybody to be uh, at that level. Um, I think I would approach... I would approach the the profession or at least in my class a lot differently I would make it more human I I would make it uh obviously I tell my students uh I tell my students at the school of education I say look they have friends already you need to be their teacher but being their teacher doesn't mean that you have to just treat them like objects right it they they're not just numbers on some Uh, report card that uh, that says you are uh, 60 percent there's so much more there's so much more to their lives and so I think with and I think that came out of maturity and also understanding uh, by reading you know philosophy and and education books and articles at the end of the day and even even theological books uh, at the end of the day we're trying to not just give them knowledge we're trying to get them to be like this podcast is about being more human right and so i am in front of them in the chronology in the lifetime events of of my life and i'm more mature and so as a result you know like uh vygotsky says you know we pass down the tools to the next generation well the question is what tools are you passing down so are you passing the tools of being more human or are you passing the tools of well you're just an academic number so when you get to college then it's all about grades and then when you get to the next level it's about competition and then the next level is well i'm gonna get mine no matter what because it's that's what i taught them Uh, or can i teach them about how to care for someone else Uh, which might not be part of the standards it might be depending on depending on the standards and the grade level but um but it could be part of what I do every day in the class and that that would take center stage in my in my class uh, and that's something that I think as the as the younger as a rookie and as a uh, uh, early in the career professional um, I I didn't understand that I could stand up and kind of move move the students in a way that I would want them to move what I believe uh, to to be important I just follow the crowd I just follow whatever was told to me, and uh, and unfortunately, I think I left many students behind because I could have done better in connecting with their needs. So that's something I think I don't think I would have to unlearn, but it's something I have unlearned, uh, and I would I would uh, use as I went back in the classroom. I often you know, I, I know that Dennis is here, and, but I often daydream about going back into the classroom and, and saying, I would I would just do so well." Because I have an objective, I have a mission and a vision, and of course they're going to be taught. Because that's no nobody. That's my job as a teacher. That's my job. Their parents, you know, can teach them, but I I get paid to teach them knowledge. But it wouldn't it wouldn't stop there. So now I'm doing what I'm doing is research on how to be a better uh, classroom management teacher, and I I infuse into that classroom management things like uh, restorative justice. And redemptive discipline, and so creating a community and creating an understanding between the students. It's not just you do something bad, I punish you. We're gonna we're gonna learn to know each other. I learned this from a from a principal. My that fifth grade year, that fifth grade year, I had a student bring a knife to school. She she was gonna stab some other students because she lived in a neighborhood that was um, that was really poor and out of that she was the poorest of the poor and you know so poor that uh i was told once her little sister was uh to to send her to school they wrapped her around in a in a a rug or a carpet or something like that and they just tied a rope around her and they sent her to school and uh, obviously when she got to school they they gave her clothes or whatever but she she was in that family Uh, it was a bad situation and these girls at, at, her, at school and, and they were all part of my class at school and also at, at home, they would just pick on her and pick on her and pick on her and pick on her to the day that she, she had brought a knife to school and she was going to hurt them. I, I don't know. Because she never did it, thank God. Um, she never did it because one of her friends told me. Now, as a rookie, I didn't, it was my first year, full time. Don't have a credential yet. I didn't know what to do. I, I had no idea. So Thank, in my opinion, thank God intervened, and, and uh, I was aware of the situation, so I sent her to the principal. I think that was a good call, and the principal was uh, somebody that had uh, experience with, he used to be, he used to work with gang units and things like that. So he had experience with, with such cases, and he was also a Christian, and what he did was uh, he recognized, he talked to her, and he recognized that this was not on her. So he called the other three girls in, and you know, I didn't see all of this. I was told afterwards about it. Uh, he grabbed a vase and he smashed it in front of them, in front of the three girls that had been picking on this girl to the point that she was gonna lash out at them. And and then he said, I want you to put it back together. And and the girls were trying to put it back together, but they couldn't, right? They just, it was just a very difficult situation to to redeem right and and to to fix and so he said this is what you've done to this girl and you're going to help me put her back together so he started a uh he put a, in place a system that said every day you're going to tell her three good things and then you're going to come back and tell me what you told her and I, the relationship obviously took a longer time than a year to, to reconcile and to repair. I don't know if it ever got repaired, but at least it gave me a glimpse of what could be done as far as redemption and reconciliation, not just punishment. And so to this day, that's something that I would want to go back into the classroom and say, well, what is it that's happening? I, you know, again, here at Biola, we talk about sin, uh, sin shouldn't be punished it, sh- it shouldn't be dismissed and and move forward and and then today i was reading Dewey and he talks a little bit about that uh about education versus training right we don't want to just train we want to educate and so and educate means that not just the mind but also the the heart and the soul so that that assistant principal at the time was educating these kids souls and that's what i would want to go back and do a lot
0: more of I wish I was in your classroom because I have so many questions to ask and so many things to dig deep in. Um, but but maybe a question to tie in a little bit of your own story with some of the, the things that you're learning about classroom and even that, just that last statement of a training in education, right? And right. and what what you're digging deep in there with, with Dewey. I'm wondering, you know, and you shared about your own, you know, story of, leaving Argentina and coming to the United States where things were different, where things, you know, and there is this, this kind of push into the system to learn the language, to achieve, to keep up, to do all these types of things and, and, and to take on, you know, whatever the local identity or the national identity without maybe the full appreciation of what you're bringing as well. Right. How do you think about that? You know, as someone who experienced that, what would be encouragements as you think about, you know what, we're, we're bringing in, we're creating a community here or a community of learners, a community of, of people with different backgrounds, different histories, different stories? Like, what would be your encouragement to those in the classroom or, or those leading schools or even us as we create these communities?
2: encouragement uh, again here i'm gonna i'm gonna tie my experience with uh with an experience i had as a teacher a uh, second grade and i share this with my students often when we talk about uh, cultural diversity and uh there was a child in my second grade class one time that uh, was having tremendous headaches really intense headaches and uh, he started he, he had come from another country I can't remember at right now what the country was, but I know it was somewhere from the Middle East. And, and he was having terrible headaches. And previous he was never an, an outstanding student because of the language barrier right so he wasn't getting A's a him, but he was, he was moving forward in the right way. He was learning, he, he, he was speaking English more and more throughout the year. And then I think this was springtime and he all of a sudden starts doing bad in school and he starts getting headaches and I just don't know what's going on. So so I talked to him and he says, I'm fasting. And I said, whoa, that's, you know, I'm a Christian. I thought, oh, that's pretty cool, he's fasting. I thought, wow. Uh, and, it, and it turned out to be that it was the, the month of Ramadan. And and he wasn't only fasting from from food, but he was also fasting from from liquids, because if you know about Ramadan, you have to fast from sunup to sundown with no liquids, no food. And I just thought, well, this is a difficult one because right? it's impeding his progress in school. He's getting these terrible headaches, but it's this cultural thing that I don't want to dismiss or or push him in a way that I respect that I, I, I thought. You know, if I was doing something for my own religious background and my personal beliefs, I would want someone to come alongside me and say, hey, I, I want to give you the opportunity to, to, to do that if, if you need to do it, right? To honor your, your culture and, and to honor your parents and to, as, as Vygotsky says, you know, to share in the cultural experience that your parents, who you love, are displaying for you, right? Um, so I talked to the mom, and we came to the conclusion that you know he she she's the one that actually educated me. And she said, Well, the truth is, for you have to that the if you follow the the T of the letter of the law, right? So you have to fast liquids and and um, food as well, solids, but for people who are sick, or for people who are elderly, or for people or young young children. They don't have to. It's okay to uh, allow them to drink. So we we met somewhere in the middle. Said because you know he's getting terrible headaches because he's dehydrated, and so, um, so I so we said okay, well let let him have you know let him have water. We'll have water for him, and I will continue to support the fact that he wants to fast from 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 food, and and so it was a win for for all parties. Now. Regarding me, when I came to the United States, there wasn't a teacher like that. that but this was a long time ago. This was 1989. Uh, teachers were not trained in, in such issues. There was, uh, right now at, at, at Biola, we have a class called uh, Teaching Linguistically Diverse Students. Every, every class, or at least a lot of our classes uh, in education, touch upon some type of differentiation or diversity of of thought or diversity of culture, and so we 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 cover that thoroughly. So I think our teachers are better trained. I was better trained. But when I came, it was bad. it was it wasn't great. and and I remember a teacher because I couldn't speak English, it was eighth grade typing class. He put me uh, next to a student who was a bully. And the reason he put me next to the kid that was a bully was because I couldn't speak English. so he wasn't gonna be able to, but every day as we walked out, he would bully somebody. So here I am in typing, trying to concentrate on typing, which it was hard enough because I didn't know the language, but now I have to also focus on the kid that might kill me next to, next to me, right? So, so it was almost like I was used as a tool for classroom management. And that was, that was just one of many experiences. I have lots of experiences. It was, I came as a junior high schooler. It wasn't a, a fun time for me. I, you know, I didn't speak to anybody for two years. I, it was just not easy. So, but, but the teachers could have, could have done a better job. But they weren't trained. I don't, I don't blame them. I don't fault them. They, they were just, they didn't know what they didn't know. Uh, I, I try to take my experiences and my education and I try to bless students and take care of them and they're, you know, shepherd them and, and just love them. So turning good things, turning bad things into good, right? My bad experiences into things that could be bless blessing others.
1: Luciano, by way of just kind of bringing all of this in, to a, to an important close, you've said a lot of really good things. Uh, I, we sure appreciate your time today, um, and I love your I, I love your approach about um, compassion before content. Uh, and how compassion actually greases the rails for content to move mm. forward, when mm. kids know you're in their corner, and, uh, and it sounds like you were also the recipient of kids being in your corner, okay. when you were the one um, fumbling and bumbling and uh, needing some needing some significant grace from from the kids as well. As a way of wrap up, what are two or three things that um, you share with your classes about um, demonstrating um, the human capacity for uh, compassion and for um, for grace and mercy in our classrooms especially as social emotional learning has really taken uh, a front you know a front and center kind of stage and and as you know the pandemic uh, provided significant accelerant to a concept that was already coming our way and then we saw our kids slipping into depression and in some cases were suicidal ideation and then uh, as a matter of fact even uh, attempts and uh, successful attempts uh, were even up during the pandemic amongst our kiddos so what are some what are some things that uh my way of landing this plane that you that you share with your students about being more human in the classroom
2: oh that's a that's a very good and important question and i've been thinking a lot about that question and i've been actually meditating and praying on that question uh and i think i i think i think god who i believe on uh has given me a good answer and the answer is uh the fact that i feel like today in today's society the rhetoric and the, the screaming and the loud voices tend to have a theme of, of grounded on the fact that they're, they're saying, and this doesn't exclude anybody. So if you're thinking out there, if you're going to listen to this podcast and say, oh, I know those people. No, it's, it's everybody. And I think we should switch it. And this is what I tell the students. Um, the voices are screaming, I want you to get to know me. You're, you don't know me. You need to get to know me. And the subtle difference that I'm about to, it's really hard to see the difference. It's a subtle difference, but it's an important difference, which is instead of going around saying, I need to get to know, I need you to get to know me. I'm forcing the other to get to know yourself. The trick is to say, let me get to know you. Let me listen to you. I am here just to listen, to get to know you. And in that getting to know, and that's the way Jesus did it. I, I always I had to tell my students, I always find it funny uh, and interesting and intriguing that that Jesus may would sit with somebody. And if we know if we uh, if we give all the uh, um, characteristics of who Jesus was from a Christian worldview, you, you would have to adopt the fact that that Jesus knew who that person was because Jesus was fully God. So Jesus knew who that person was yet. He sat down and listened to them. So there's something powerful, not only in, for us, because we're limited beings and we don't know who the other person is, but there's also something powerful for the other person to tell you who they are, a value in telling you who they are so that they have the forum and they have the experience of saying, wow, this person really cares. So there's something powerful in that listening. That, that even if you, think what, if you think you know what they're going to say, just allowing them to say it is powerful. But for us, even more importantly, because we don't know what they're going to say, it allows us to understand them in a way that we probably would not have otherwise. So rather than me going around saying, Dennis, you need to know me, I should say, Dennis, tell me about you and in that i think the next response would be hey what about you why don't you tell me about you too hopefully so so that's so i think that's uh that's something i i like to i i i've been sharing with my students that be the first person to listen not not the first person to demand i think that's something that that even god i mean genesis genesis 3 he says You know, they just committed their sin and they're hiding, and and God doesn't come around saying, "Hey, why didn't you do it the way I want?" He says, "Hey, where are you guys? Like, let's talk about this. Well, I want to, you know, what what do you have to say about this? What happened? Like, what did you do, right?" And there's enters into a conversation led by love and respect and care uh, that I think if we were to do that, it would solve a lot of our problems. But nowadays we're stuck in hey, you guys need to get to know me. And that's, uh, there's no no one listening anymore. Everybody's screaming, get to know me. I just don't, I don't understand that. So that's what I tell my students.
0: Luciano, uh, uh, amazing. Thank you for allowing us to get to know you a little bit. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I wish you guys had told me some stories as well. That, that'll come. You just spend enough time with Dennis and me, that definitely comes. So your encouragement to listen, your encouragement to hear other people's stories, especially in these days, and especially as we come to the end of a school year right as we enter into that what it what are the stories that we are listening to who are those people that we are gathering from Mm -hmm. and then our students you know what like what are the stories that they get to tell us or what are we discovering about who they are so Luciano thank you so much Dennis again a blessing thank you guys
1: today thank you Luciano